I think we're recording now, so we're ready to go. Revelation chapter 13. We'll go to verses 1 through 10 to start with. You're about to see why we took that whole uh, one week and studied the book of Daniel. Uh, and this is going to make a lot more sense tonight as we get to it, and you'll see why we did it. We're also going to go back and look at some of those things we looked at for those who weren't here. So starting in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place, those who live in heaven. He was given power to, to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Now, we have seen this beast before. Again, as you've heard me say, it's important to know the whole of Scripture. It really helps to study the whole of Scripture, be able to understand the Bible books like the book of Revelation. If you were just trying to read Revelation by itself, it would seem a lot more confusing than it really needs to be because Revelation's tied to many other places in the Scripture. And as you have already studied, if you were here that night, we've seen this beast before. When he comes up and he has seven heads and ten horns, all of a sudden we would say, wait a minute, that looks for Familiar. Now, so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 7. Put a bookmark here and go to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear, and it was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given the authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening, and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, we're going to stop again, and we're going to take a look. Here he sees the vision of four different beasts. The first one was like what? Like a lion. Second one was like a, a bear. Third one was like a 
leopard. And then the fourth beast, he said, I don't even know of an animal that this looks like. And so it's just terrifying, whatever it is, and I can't even associate it with anything that we know. And he said it had ten horns. Now, as we go a little further in Daniel chapter 7, verses 20-25, through 25, Daniel's given insight as to this fourth beast. Look what it says. Um, actually, uh, yeah, in verse 20 it says, I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth, fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be trampled, sorry, handed over to him for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, what I want you to understand is something that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to this fourth beast and this beast that's coming to the earth and the Antichrist. First of all, we keep looking like, is so-and-so the Antichrist? Or maybe this person's Antichrist. The Bible says that the Antichrist won't be revealed until he who restrains is taken out of the way. It talks about that in Thessalonians. I really believe without question, the one who restrains is the Holy Spirit's work through the church. The Antichrist won't be revealed until after the church has been removed in the rapture. And remember, Jesus said that the church is the salt and the light of the earth. Salt slows decay. Back in that day, they used salt as a preservative. Nowadays, we have refrigerators and freezers. But back then, if you wanted a piece of meat to last longer, you packed it in salt. And that would preserve. It would slow the decay. I believe the Bible teaches that the Antichrist won't be revealed until the church has been removed. So we don't need to worry about is so-and-so the Antichrist, because we won't know. Secondly, though, as you see from these prophecies, this world system again that's going to be coming, or revival of the Roman Empire, this fourth kingdom that's mentioned in the, as a fourth beast, is going to be put together, and here the prophecy says it's going to be made up of ten kingdoms that are all together to make this one world power. The Antichrist is going to come from that group, but he's going to subdue three of the kingdoms where they're no longer in power, and then he's going to take control over the whole thing. So actually, there's a chance that this one world government would come into place and be ruling for a period of time, even before the Antichrist comes to rule over it. We might say, well, whoever the leader of that one world government is, is the Antichrist. Might not be. Remember, the Bible talks about there's going to be ten kingdoms that have this. And then at some point, after that has been instituted, the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to take over three of the horns and become the one himself who's in charge. Uh, remember, Daniel, I mean, Daniel, I mean, sorry, not Daniel, Revelation chapter 17 showed us that this, uh, the seven heads refer to seven different kingdoms and their kings. Remember, we looked at that before. We're not going to turn there now. But in Revelation chapter 17, it talks about that. And it referred to the fact that Egypt was the one world power, then Assyria, then Babylon then Medo-Persia, then Greece, and then Rome, and then the last kingdom. All right? The seven heads are the seven, seven kingdoms. So I want you to understand. And then that, that head, well, we'll get to that in a second. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Any questions before we move on? Because I'll make sure you're still with me here. 
This beast, and I'll get right to you, this beast that, that, that John sees in this vision here is not something they haven't seen before. It's that fourth beast that Daniel saw in chapter 7. Go ahead. Well, they did mention something about three of the It does talk about that in Daniel as well. It does talk about that in Daniel as well. But again... This one revival of the Roman Empire that's going to happen. At some point in the last days, there's going to be this one world government that's going to become, and they're going to rule over the whole earth. Now, let's be honest, we're heading in that direction right now. With all the craziness that's going on, the world is trying to get together. The European Union's definitely trying to get together. But the world's trying to get together, and there's two main obstacles to this. The United States and Israel. All right, And so we can foresee that the world is heading in this direction. We don't know how soon it's going to happen, but they're heading in this direction. Yes, go ahead. Sure. The seven kingdoms, is that referring to the seven kingdoms after the three are removed, or the seven kingdoms starting from... Starting from Egypt to... And the seventh head is this seventh thing. We don't know who the three that are removed are. Not even an educated guess. Sorry, we have no idea who those three are. We don't know who the ten are going to be. We just don't know. But there's going to be a regathering of the Roman Empire. The European Union is a good picture of that right now. But at some point, there is going to be a one world government headed in this area, from this area of the world. And it's going to be made up of ten kingdoms. Oh, Israel won't be a part of it. Because this, this beast is going to attack Israel. So Israel won't be a part of it. Alright? So, we don't know any more than that. Now, I'll get right to you, Fred. Keep in mind, prophecy is not for us to read and figure out. Prophecy is for us to read, take it to heart, and if you're alive when it happens, you'll say, boom, this is it. Okay? Go ahead. It's interesting to know that when Ed Eisen was here, mm -hmm. he stated that there are 46 members in the European that's right. The way it stands now, like Fred just said, there's 46 members in the European Union. Only 10 of them, of those nations, are actually voting members. It could be that those are the ones who come into power. But let's be honest, right now, the European Union is not a one world power. So it has not become that beast yet. But just keep watching. <laughs> know the scripture and just keep watching. All right? Now, let's deal with this head that had a fatal wound. There's, there's a couple options. There's two, possibly three options we see in Revelation 13 that uh, one of the heads seemed to have, see verse, four, the th verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. So it's interesting. John sees a wound on this head that obviously would have killed it, yet it's been healed. Now, prophecy scholars and commentators have wrestled with this. What does this mean? Some say that's just simply the Roman Empire, which has been dead and brought back to life. Possibly. Others say that the Antichrist himself, who's going to be the leader of this one world government, is going to die and come back to life, mimicking Jesus Christ. So you're going to see tonight, as we take a look at this, that Satan can't come up with any new ideas of his own. And he, and, he, and he copies what God does. And you're going to see tonight as we get to the end of this study that there's going to be the dragon. 
And He represents God, if you will. And then you're going to have the Antichrist, and He represents the Son, and you're going to have the false prophet, and He represents the Holy Spirit. There's going to be an unholy trinity come to light in our study tonight. And there's some that think that possibly this is saying that the Antichrist is actually going to be killed, but then come back to life. And even more garner some admiration that He's from God or whatever. All right, But there's also a possibility that it's a mixture of the two. A third option is, this is referring to the fact that the Roman Empire died and now has come back to life, and it happens to the Antichrist. We really don't know. Again, this is prophecy. Put it in your heart. It says that it's obvious that one of the heads had a fatal wound, but it had been healed. What that means? I hope you're not here to find out what it means. Alright? I hope you're already in heaven with the rest of the church at that time. But, if you decide to be stubborn, pay attention to this, because it may, may, may help you out down the road. Alright? Alright. Now, I want to deal with verses 9 and 10. A lot of times when people study the book of Revelation, they skip over these verses. There's something pretty powerful here in verses 9 and 10, and I don't want you to skip over them. Alright? Then he goes on, to, uh, well, actually, let me jump back to verse 5 and how this beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercises authority for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. You're seeing that over and over and over, all right? And, and we're going to come back to this section at the end. But the Antichrist is going to have, and this one world government headed by the Antichrist is going to have authority, and they're going to go after Israel, and they're going to attack Israel for three and a half years, okay? We'll come back to that for a little, in, a, in a little bit, all right? But look at verses 9 and 10. He says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Does anybody have any idea what this means? It was put here for a reason, but I'm sorry? Oh, it definitely is referring to imprisonment and martyrdom, but why is it put there? I mean, because all throughout the scripture it's already been saying that people are going to be killed for their faith. But why is it worded this way? You're right on there, Rita. What will be, will be. Listen, right now, the Bible warns of things to come. But you have an option. You have a choice. You can turn from your sin into Jesus Christ and be spared. It's not too late. But when it gets to this point, what's going to happen is going to happen. It's going to be so bad, you, can't, you won't be at that time saying, Lord, spare me. Because You may be trying, but it's not going to change things. What he's saying here simply is, at this time it's going to be so bad, if you're going to be killed with a sword, you're going to be killed with a sword. Now at the time, where we, the time we live now, we have the opportunity to pray and prayer changes things. At this point, folks, it's just going to be on cruise control. What God already knows is going to happen, already sees is going to happen, it's just going to happen, it's going to be bad. This is a warning that you don't want to be here at this time. Who would want to live in a world where things are just going to happen? There are, some, there are people out there that are fatalists and they say, well, what will be, will be. Man, I, I wouldn't want to live like that. I wouldn't want to live like that at all. Well, especially when the Bible says that I can talk to Him and He can listen and He can orchestrate and He can guide and He can change. I don't want to live in a, what will be, will be. What's the point of having a relationship with God? But at this point, it's going to be so bad, it's just going to happen. Take it, is what it's saying. Now again... Thank the Lord the church will not be here. But there will be people who come to faith in Christ after this point, uh, after the rapture of the church, and they're going to have to go through this. Alright? So, the beast coming up out of the sea is this revival of the Roman Empire headed by the Antichrist. Alright? Now, verse 11. Then I saw another beast 
coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, and he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Alright, we're going to take some time to break this down. And some of you may not be real pleased with some of my answers here, because you're going to hear a few I don't knows. Alright? But that's the right answer, okay? So don't be mad at me for giving you the right answer. But we're going to deal with, first of all, how we're introduced at this point to the false prophet. Alright? This guy works on behalf of the first beast. Alright? He's going to be a religious leader who leads not only the one world... We've got the one world government headed up by the Antichrist, but now you're going to have a one world religious system as well. And you're going to see that more when we get to chapter 17 and the woman riding the beast. At, when, the, when the one world government comes into power, this last kingdom that rules over the whole earth, it is at the same time, the Bible says, going to put together all the religions into one religion. And oh, by the way, people have been trying to do that for a long, long time. You know, have you ever seen all those coexist bumper stickers? Have you ever seen those? It's got a little bit of Jewish symbol and Christian symbol and the Muslim symbol. And there's actually movements out there of people who claim to be Christian, people who claim to be Muslim, people who claim to be Jewish, who are actually trying to get the world religions together because they believe if we can get all the world religions together, we won't have any wars anymore. They say that, that, um, that if the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims would just all get, get together and get along, we wouldn't have any more wars. They don't understand human nature. They think it has to do with that. Now, uh, yeah, exactly. Wars have been going on long before. Muslims didn't even come into, come into existence until the 600s. All right, so, I mean, almost 600 years after the beginning of the church. So you can't just say it's that. But what they're doing, though, is they're saying this. They're very sneaky. They say the Muslims trace themselves back to Abraham. They're saying the Jews trace themselves back to Abraham. They're saying the Christians trace themselves back to Abraham. If we could get them all to understand that we're all followers of Abraham, we're all children of Abraham, and it makes so much sense to them, everything will be fine. And the Bible says, and I'll get right to you, the Bible says that in the last days there will be a one world religion and Whoever this guy is will be the leader of it. But his role is to do what? Cause everyone to worship the beast. Holy Spirit's role is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Too many churches out there are bringing too much focus on worshiping the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't be worshiping the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit's role is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And Jesus' role is to bring glory to the Father. If your focus is on the Holy Spirit and not on Jesus, you've got a problem. Your focus is a little bit, a little bit skewed. Hey, there's nothing wrong with understanding the role of the Holy Spirit and the fact that He's God. And, but don't focus on the Holy Spirit. Focus on the Lord Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit's role is, is to focus on the Lord Jesus. There was a question. Go ahead or a comment. Just a comment. Uh, if they read the Bible, they would realize after Solomon, the tribes of Israel was 
Yes, right. They were Jews fighting Jews. Exactly. Again, their thinking is skewed, but you're right. But at this point, Christians will be gone. Well, the church anyway. The people will come to faith, but they'll be running and hiding for their lives. As you'll see, they won't be able to eat or buy anything or buy or sell because they won't take the mark, which we'll get to in a sec. But there's a one-world religious leader. So you got now the dragon which is Satan. Remember, Satan's been kicked out of heaven. He's now on the earth. He's not able to move around like he used to. And he's not too happy about it. And he's going to empower and indwell the Antichrist. And the false prophet is going to cause everyone to worship the Antichrist. As we'll get to down the road in our study of Revelation, you'll see there'll come a point where the Antichrist and the one world religion, one world government turns on the one world religion. Turns on them. And destroys them. But for this point, for this point right now, that's who the, this, this false prophet is. Isn't it interesting? He looked like a lamb. But he spoke like who? A dragon. You know, Jesus talked about that. He said, watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, by their fruit you'll know whether or not they're really from me. You know? And he, he, he said... Don't just look at the miracles. And that's what we're going to see here. We're going to take a little look here. He said, says the prophet, false prophet will be able to do incredible miracles. Alright? What are some of the miracles from this passage you see that he'll be able to do? Take a look at it. I'm sorry? Call fire down from heaven? What else? Verse 15. He makes the idol come alive. And it starts to speak. It's a very interesting thing. We're not going to take the time to turn there, but there's a passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah where God says, um, why, do you, why do you bow down to this idol of wood or stone or whatever and it's not able to speak? You ask it questions, but it can't talk. Yet, what happens? At this point, they cause the idol to talk. Another interesting thing I just recently realized and just kind of doing some study on this. Remember back when uh, Nebuchadnezzar was given the dream of the, the statue with the head of gold and the chest of bronze and so on and the silver and then thighs of bronze and so on. It's not long after that that Nebuchadnezzar sets up that big idol, doesn't he? But what did he make that big statue out of? All gold. Think about this. Nebuchadnezzar was given a vision of his kingdom, then it's going to be... Followed by another kingdom, less powerful than him, and then another kingdom and another kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar says, uh-uh, buddy, uh-uh, this baby's going to be all gold. It's all me, and it won't be torn down. And he made everybody bow down to it. I had never noticed that, that he had said, pretty much what he was saying was, I see your vision, but it's all going to be gold. It's going to be all me for eternity. Isn't that amazing? Who knows? It might be another statue just like that. But it's able to talk. We don't know. Folks, I want to tell you, You've got to be careful of people who claim to have miraculous powers. Miraculous powers do not prove that they're from God. Let me give you some examples. Remember back when Moses was sent by God to Egypt to have Pharaoh let his people go? What was the first thing that Moses was told to do to show that he was from God? He was supposed to do something with his rod. He threw it down on the ground and it turned into a snake. What did Pharaoh's magicians do? They threw theirs down and they turned into a snake. Are they from God? Don't just think that, oh, look at that miraculous healing. That means this guy's from God. There's a lot of people out there that try to get a following because of their miracles. We've got to be careful about that. Okay. 
If that were possible. And we're going to get to it. We're going to get to that verse, actually. We're going to, we're going to go to Deuteronomy first. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. This is what God says. He says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Here God says, if some guy comes and, and he has some miraculous power, and his thing happens, and then he says, let's worship a different God, or in a different way, he says, don't follow Him. This will be a test. Be a test. Now it's interesting, it says, uh, if someone foretells by dreams. When I was pastor in Chicago, I had a couple from another church in the area uh, come to visit me one day, and they wanted to know if, if I would give them some counsel. So I, I had never met them before. I said, sure, come on in and we'll talk. And they said, well, we're having a problem at our church, and we're not sure if what they're doing is biblical, and we'd like you to give us some guidance. I said, okay, what's going on? They said, well, our pastor has stopped using the Bible to preach. He's now preaching from his dreams and his visions. He was getting up and he was saying that he told the church, God has given me the ability to see into your living rooms. And I know what you watch on TV and I know what you do in your house. And he was preaching from these dreams and visions. They came and they said, we're not sure this is good. Is this good or bad? And I took them here and I took them to other places and showed them that the Bible says this isn't a good thing. And they had to be careful. And so they then um, left that church and decided to come to our church for a while. But they would never join our church because at least at that time, because they, they came from a denomination that thought that you had to speak in tongues or you didn't have the Spirit. And they, they said, well you don't speak in tongues and so we don't think you have the Spirit. I said, then why are you coming to me for godly counsel? And this is what they said. They said, well, you got a lot of wisdom, so we think you're on the journey, and you're going to get there someday. And God's given you a taste of wisdom. And Well, they just, you know, I, I have learned over the years not to argue. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct and allow God to bring them to the understanding. Too many Christians think it's our role to win the argument. No, you share with love what the Word of God says. And we let them keep coming. And uh, I showed them in the Scripture how Paul said, I wish they all could speak in, you should all could speak in tongues. And, and there must have been those in the church that couldn't. Well, it was so funny. One Sunday, they, the man named Dennis, he came running down the hall before Sunday school. He said, Pastor, you're okay, you're okay. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean I'm okay? He goes... I was reading in the Bible the other day and I realized not everybody's going to have that gift. I said, good, I feel so much better. Thank you very much. You know? But what happened was they had to get out of a situation where the person was sharing dreams and visions and stuff was happening. And they thought it was from God. 
We have to be able to know the Word. And now we're going to go to that passage. Go to Matthew 24, one that Allison was just referring to. Matthew 24, verses 23-25. through 25. Because as much as this is going to happen in the end times here during this last seven year period for the nation of Israel and the world, it's happening now as well. But why is God allowing it to happen? We just read in Deuteronomy. Why is He allowing these things to happen? It's a test to see if you're going to follow Him and His Word. Look at Matthew 24, verses 23 through 25. At that time, Jesus says, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Have we not already seen in our lifetime those who claim to be Christ? I unfortunately grew up in the era right after Jim Jones. And my name is Jim Johnson. And I grew up on the playground being called Jim Jones. So I didn't even know what that meant. I was just a young kid, you know. But once I'd learned, I'd say, well, here's some Kool-Aid, you know. But um, think of the people that stood in line seeing the people die. But it was coming from the man of God. Folks, if anybody ever says, follow me, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because there are those who are gifted by God with with personalities that make you want to follow them. And they may even do miracles. But if it goes against the Word of God, they'll be leading you astray. All the importance of doing what we're doing. I'm preaching uh, at Church for the Beach, as I said, this this Sunday. And uh, I just finished meeting with leadership this week. And they said, well, do you have any any, any scriptures you want us to put up on the screen? And what I told them was, I said, well, tell you what, I'm going to make sure everybody has a Bible. I want them to look it up for themselves. Now, don't hear me wrong. It's valuable once in a while to have it up on the screen if you're trying to hit something fast and you just want them to see it. But actually, I would rather you sit there with this in your hands. I love listening to all the pages turn and people here with their Bibles. I want you to say, wow, and put a bookmark there or mark it and write it down. I want you to see that God is able to speak to you and there's stuff here. But let's be honest. If it went up on a screen, you'd probably forget it before you get to Shoney's, wouldn't you? But there's something here in your hand that God has blessed us with. And folks, let's be honest, we have been given a privilege to live in this country and to be have, i, I got probably 20 Bibles in my house. And you probably have a chunk of them too. We need to know what this book says. We need to keep reading it, feeding on it, because there's going to be days as it increases where more deception is going to occur. Yes, ma'am. Well, her, her, question, her question was, we're to know them by their fruit, and that's what we're to use to judge. Is there anything else? Whether or not what they're saying lines up with the Word of God. That's, that's the only two main things. So, is that you, your phone? All right, there you go. You knew it would go away. I, I, I was at a church service one time, and the minister of music's wife's cell phone was going off. All right, and it was a funeral. All right? And she was good. She kept going, Whose is that? She kept saying, Whose? And she knew it was hers. And she's kicking her purse under the pew at the time, saying, Where is that coming from? Because she knew if she bent over, everybody would know it was her. But it, I, I was sitting behind her, though, so I know. So that was pretty, pretty slick. So you were trying that, but we caught you. So she's sitting there going, Whose is that? All right, let's deal with this mark. 
Alright? Here we read about the mark of the beast. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Back around the time of Hitler, what was the German currency right around that time? It was called the mark, wasn't it? Boy, they were sure that was it. The German currency is the mark. The mark of the beast. That's why you have to be a little bit careful to try to predict from Scripture. All we know is is that it goes on their forehead or on their hand. Now, it could be a computer chip. Those are two of the places in your body we rarely get fat. You ever notice that? As big as we get, foreheads don't usually get fat. And thank the Lord, because I heard one comedian say you could never see. You'd be like, you know. You know? But, uh, or the back of your hand as well. <laughs> Leave it alone. All right? But there are computer chips now that they can implant in your skin that have all your data and all that kind of stuff. And you can just run it over, run a thing over it and it reads who you are and all that stuff. You can buy and sell with it possibly in years to come. It's, the capability is there now. But we can't say that's what it's going to be. Now, I'll be honest with you, if the government tries to make everybody get one, I'm not going to be in a hurry to line up. You know? Because anything they want, try to put in my forehead or my hand looks a little bit too much like this that makes me say, yeah, no, God told me to read this for a reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on. I, I jokingly, Becky will tell you, most everywhere I go when it's time to pay, I say, do you all take cash? And a couple of people go, not for long. You know, kind of a deal. Alright? Now, some think it might be a tattoo or a brand of some sort. You know, like they used to brand slaves. It could be a stamp. Of, I, I, we don't know what it is. But all I know is, is that Antichrist is going to cause everyone to receive this mark that shows their allegiance to him and to this one world government. If you don't take it, you won't be able to buy or sell. Go ahead. I believe we'll be gone. Like I say, I don't know whether or not this computer chip technology will happen before we're taken out. It's a possibility they may try it before, but we don't know that. But the actual mark of the beast won't happen until after we're gone. But when it comes to the computer chip technology, it's, it's there now. It's, you could, they could do it today. But they already, they're already doing it to dogs. You know, nowadays if you have a pet, they, they do that. So if your pet runs away, they know whose pet it is and all that kind of stuff. Humans, humans are using it. The, I'll be honest with you, one of the only reasons why it's not more widespread is because people are kind of still freaked out by it. But the companies know if they wait a few more years, that resistance will go away. Right. Use it to track prisoners sometimes. No. Alzheimer's patients. Yeah. So, does yours hurt? <laughs> you don't remember. Okay, right. <laughs> By the way, for those listening on on the on the um, website, Rita loves me. Yeah. All right. All right. Now we're getting, now we're going to get to this uh, calculate the mark of the beast, folks. Let me tell you, leave it alone. Alright? People have been trying to do all these math and stuff, and it was Napoleon or Ronald Reagan's name added up to 666 and all. I mean, there's all 
sorts of different speculations. Again, we're trying to look at prophecy to figure things out. That's not what prophecy is about. Prophecy is written obscurely for a reason. Specific enough that you'll know that it's been fulfilled, but it's to be understood at the time that it's being that it's happening. Or the signs are lining up and you'll see things that way. Don't get caught up in all these websites on what 666 means and who it is. Alright? Just don't go there. Just stay away from it. Uh, it's, it's not for us to really know. But there is something that we can know from this that I want to show you. Alright? Whatever this number is, it's something to be avoided and defeated by the believers at that time. I'm going to say it again. Whatever this number is, it's something to be avoided and defeated by the believers at that time. Why do I say this? The answer is in Revelation chapter 15 verse 2. Look at Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. It says, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast, and his image, and over the number of his name. Whatever this means, they defeated the beast, and the image, and the number of his name. How did they do it? Through faith in Christ, they stood firm, they said no, and most likely died. Now, I'm not going to say this for any other reason but to just show you that it's happening now. I read of a story yesterday that's happened within the last two weeks of Christians in China who were arrested for worshiping. They gathered the, the church people together and they separated the children from the parents, and they told the parents, deny Christ, or we'll hang your children in front of you. A little girl looked at her mother, and her mother leaned down and said to her, today I will see you in heaven. And they hung them in front of the parents. And then after that, they then said, deny Christ, or you're next. These parents because of their faith in Christ, and because what else have they got to live for, in a sense, watching their children die, were laid down and a steamroller rolled over them, crushing them. This is, I, it, I, have a, I have connections with, with the emails that send me updates of what's going on. This is from the, uh, the, the those that deal with martyrs all over the world. Again, I don't know the actual website. I'm sorry? The stuff is going on all over the world and the press is not picking it up. This is from a company called Voice of the Martyrs. Yeah, there's, I could tell you more and more, but that's enough to give you an idea. Folks, don't think that this is just, you know, wild, prophetic, apocalyptic, right? Folks, it's happening today. It's, it's been happening since Jesus has been here, but it has escalated, escalated, and escalated. How did they... Defeat, be victorious over the beast in his image and the number of his name? They said no. They said no. And they kept their faith in Christ and they were killed for it. But the Bible shows that we will be rewarded way more than we could ever, a hundred times as much as what we give, have given up in this life. But it's so sad because so many Christians are living for this world. They just don't understand what's to come. And that's where we're going to go in the time that we have left. I'm just going to touch on something that I'm going to preach on in more detail on Sunday. But I really feel like I want to give you a Christmas challenge tonight. The Bible says that this wonderful new covenant...
that we have been given through Jesus Christ was given to the Jews first. I want you to see this. Go to Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day and decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is His name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured. Oh, and by the way, we're getting better and better telescopes and microscopes. Or not, I mean, uh, um, whatever you want to call those satellite things. And they're finding out the heavens are bigger than we ever thought. Only if the heavens above can be measured. Or in the foundations of the earth below be searched out. Will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all that they have done, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when this city, speaking of Jerusalem will be rebuilt for me from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will stretch from there from straight to the hill of Gareb and then to Goa. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley on the east as far as the corner of the horse gate will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be uprooted or demolished. There's a lot of people that have been taught over the years that the church has replaced Israel. And all the promises for Israel are going to be fulfilled in the church. Folks, look how clear this is. God says the nation of Israel will never cease to exist before me. Yes, He scattered them to all the nations like He said He would because of their rejection of the Messiah. But He also prophesied throughout the Old Testament that He would bring them back in the last days. And the dry bones of Ezekiel 37 are coming back together when God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel wisely said, Only you know, Lord. And He said, Well, preach to them. And as he does, what happens? Bones to bones are coming together in the sinew and the tendons and the muscle. And they stood up, but they had no breath in them. And the nation of Israel is being gathered right now. I was talking to some Jewish people uh, this past week when I was uh, in Dallas at a prophecy conference. And they're talking about what is called the Aliyah, or the Eliyah, however you want to pronounce it. And what it is, is Jews all over the world who have never been to Israel now want to go home. Folks, you and I watch on the news. We, we, we wouldn't go there right now. Things are getting crazy. But Jews, they're leaving posh places in Fort Lauderdale and, and New York. And they're wanting to go to Israel. Because God is gathering all the dry bones back. But they don't have the breath of God in them yet. That's not going to happen until He comes back Himself and sets up His kingdom. But what we need to understand is... The church has had a conceited, proud attitude that thinks we're the ones who understand it. 
The Bible says that we're only able to understand it because God has let us piggyback in and be a part of His plan for the nation of Israel. They have been hardened in part, it says in Romans chapter 11, but only until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And when that time comes to an end, He will finish what He started with the nation of Israel. And He Himself is coming back. But you know, most of us really don't think about the fact that we are going to come with Him and rule and reign with Him on this earth for a thousand years. Let's be honest. When you think about dying, where do you think about going? Heaven. We think about dying and going to heaven for eternity. The Bible says when you die or are raptured, you're going to go be with the Lord for a brief period of time while He finishes on the earth that we're reading about here. But at the end of that, when Jesus comes back and all His holy ones, us, with Him, He's going to come and set up a literal kingdom on the earth and rule from Jerusalem, and He's going to be reigning over the whole earth. That's why when Jesus came on the scene, He preached about the kingdom of God. And the Jews were all excited because the prophecies have been talking about about this kingdom of God. And then, because the Jews rejected Him and did not receive Him as the Messiah, the kingdom of God was put on hold, the literal one on the earth. And then Jesus talked about the kingdom of God being inside us for a time. But too many people have just spiritualized it and say, well, He's just going to rule and reign in our hearts, and that's what it means. But there's a prophecy we're going to deal with on Sunday in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. We can all quote verse 6 about His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But verse 7 says, and of His rule and His peace there will be no end. And He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever. And the Jews who understood the Old Testament knew that there was a kingdom where Jesus, well they didn't know it was Jesus, but the Messiah was going to come and reign on the earth. Well then, an interesting thing happens. The disciples are standing on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1 we see it. And they're on the Mount of Olives and they remembered a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 14 where it says he's going to come back and step foot on the Mount of Olives. And they asked Jesus this question in verse 6. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now keep in mind, they thought it was going to happen right away. That's why they're asking, who's going to sit on your right? Who's going to sit on your left? You know, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And then they watched him die. But then he rose from the dead. And He appeared to them in amazing power with a glorified body for 40 days. And as they're standing on the Mount of Olives, they said, Hey Jesus, look where your feet are. Is that prophecy going to be filled right now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? And He said, It's not for you to know the times of the dates which the Father has set by His own authority, but He will give you power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses all over the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the innermost parts of the earth. And then the Bible says He was taken from their sight. And He ascended up to the Father. And they stood there, kind of, you, know, you ever watch the space shuttle take off on a cloudy day? You watch it for a while and then you lose it, right? But we don't just say, oh, it's behind the clouds. We're still going, ah, there it is. I see a glimpse of it, right? That's what the disciples were doing. He had gone into the clouds and He was hid from their sight, but they're still looking for Him. And two angels appeared. What did they say? Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into the sky? This same Jesus who ascended, will come back. And then they left the Mount of Olives. That's where He's coming back. Folks, I want you to understand something. Stop living for this world. This is a training ground for the one to come. But the one to come is not heaven. It will be one day when He makes a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, and by the way, we're going to live on a planet. 
The new heaven and the new earth is going to be like we have with no sin. It's going to be wonderful and glorious for eternity. But Jesus is first going to come back and fulfill these prophecies of Him living on the earth in a literal kingdom on the earth. And we need to understand that we won't just go to heaven forever. We're going to be with the Lord for a period and we're going to be down on the earth for a long time. Do you realize a thousand years is ten times as long as most of us live now? Over ten times as long as most of us live now. Oh, and by the way, what you do now will have an effect on what you have in that world. And I don't see in Scripture where you can earn rewards in the millennium. What you get is what you get. With that in mind, would it not behoove us to stop using our money for things of this world and putting them toward the things of the kingdom? On top of that, this Christmas, when you celebrate the birth of this baby, realize that this baby came to the Jews first. Remember? To the Jew first, then the Gentile. Matthew 15, Jesus is walking along. A Gentile woman who is a daughter who has a demon says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. Heal my daughter. And He ignores her. The disciples come and they say, She's driving us nuts. Would you do something? And Jesus says this, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. It's a Gentile. It's not right for the children's bread to go to the dogs. Now, you've got to understand something. As mad as you may get at Jesus, He's God. He's sinless. What He said was not wrong. He was sent by the Father to the Jews first. He knew in time the door would open to the Gentiles. And actually, individual Gentiles here and there were responding to the call of God. But as a whole, He was sent to the Jews first. John chapter 1 says, He came to that which was His own. But his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave him the right to be called the children of God. Children not born of natural descent or husband's will, but children born of God. We in the church have been grafted in. We have been given an opportunity to be saved. And so I want you to think about two things this Christmas as you celebrate Christmas. When you look at that baby born in the manger, remember he was sent to the nation of Israel first. And God has a heart for these people. Oh, they're going to go through a real tough time between now and when Jesus comes and sets up His kingdom. But, but it's going to happen. But we need to be praying for Jesus to come and rescue His people as they pray for that. Pray. They don't know it's Jesus. Pray that they believe in Him. Pray that they would know that it's Him. But be praying for the nation of Israel as the world gathers around Israel to divide the city and Prophecies actually talk about that. How they're going to try to make a Palestinian state with half of Jerusalem as their capital. And actually they don't even want Israel to even exist. This is just a way to get them all wiped out. And as the world is now gathering against Israel, and unfortunately the United States is turning against them as well, all these prophecies are being fulfilled. Folks, I want you to have a heart for the people of Israel just like God does. So when you celebrate the birth of this baby who came to die for the sins of the world, which He did... He came to the Jews first. He loves them and He's not done with them. And second thing is this. He could have come back a hundred years ago. But He waited for you. You were given an opportunity to be a part of this. Thank Him for the fact that you got to be a part of it. But don't become proud and think, well, we're the ones of the New Covenant. The New Covenant was for Israel. They rejected, 
and were set aside for a time, and he opened the door to the Gentiles. Now I'm going to show you one verse in Romans, and we'll wrap up with it. Romans chapter 11. And I'm thinking about breaking my promise already. I might show you more than one verse, so don't hold me to that one. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Again I ask, did they, and this is the nation of Israel, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous and envious. See it? One day, they're going to realize that they missed it. One day they're going to look on, look on Him whom they've pierced and they're going to weep and they're going to grieve and they're going to say, what those Christians said they have was real. We want it. And they're going to be given it. Look at verses 25 through the end of the chapter and this is all right, through verse 32 and this is where I'll stop. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. In part means there are still Jews who are coming to faith in Christ. But as a whole, the nation is not. They've experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now as far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Why? Because God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. Just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that He may have mercy on them all. I preached that on December 28th, 03. Well, maybe you'll understand it today. <laughs> Folks, when you worship Jesus this year and celebrate the birth of Christ, thank Him that He waited to come back for the Jews and set up His kingdom on the earth until at least whatever year was you got saved. Paul went to the synagogues first and then to the Gentiles when Jesus said, okay, no more, move to the Gentiles. You're right. We've got a God who has an awesome plan. And you know what's sad? You cannot turn the news on today, any day, without reading about the world's hatred for the Jews. It's been that way from day one. Why? Because we live in a world whose ruler is who? Satan. Satan. And he hates God and God's people. And Christians are the ones being silenced. They talk about tolerance and all this kind of stuff. They just really want to shut up Christians. You know? And they don't want the Jews to be in the land. But God has a word that has said it would happen, and it's going to happen, and we're watching it happen in our day. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that Jesus comes. But if you've got family and friends that don't know Him, pray that God will open their eyes.
Pray that God will open our eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, again, I thank you for this chance to open your word and to, to have you speak to us. And I thank you again for how much fun it is. And Lord, we, we pray for just a, a great time of celebration with family and friends. But Lord, we pray that it will be a, a worship experience for each of us as we sh- share the good news with family and friends about what the real meaning of Christmas is. But Lord, at the same time, we look forward to coming back together next year if you tarry to come get us. We look forward to coming back together next year and continue the study of Revelation. But Lord, thank you for the fact that you've been showing us how your word is true and what you say is going to happen will happen. We're seeing prophecies fulfilled in our day and we thank you for letting us be a part of that. But Lord, we ask you to continue to do your plan that you have already said will come to fruition. But we keep our eyes on you in this process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.